Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining in today. This is Adrienne Lloyd. I'm here with the Women in Healthcare podcast for MGMA, and it's my honor to have Doral Jacobson with us today. She has been in healthcare for a little over 20 years with a large focus in payer contracting. Um, she is one of the fellow MGMA consultants with me, but I've known her. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina, so we're just a few hours apart, but we've um, been fortunate to know each other, I guess, uh, four or five years now. Um, she is a fantastic speaker as well. If you ever get to see her at a conference, please make sure you get to see her sessions um, and just has a lot of insights. And I know um, she and I were talking just before this too. There's obviously a lot of experiences we've had um, similar throughout our careers, but also in life. So we may kind of see where the journey takes us today. But Doral, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be with us today. And I'd love to let you say hello and introduce yourself a little bit too, if you want to add anything. Sure. Thanks, Adrian. So good to see you as always, and really fun to be on this podcast. I'm super excited about uh, women in healthcare. I think it's really cool to kind of showcase some of the different things that our colleagues are doing, and uh, really happy to be with you today. Um, just a little bit about me. I've been in healthcare for quite a while, working in the payer contracting space, and and I hope to share a little bit about my journey and uh, give you uh, some tidbits about um, how to be successful in contracting and then also kind of backing up into a little bit of the things that um, I, we're doing at Prosper Beyond and with our payer contracting uh, clients that um, are, are helpful from an industry perspective as well. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, I'd love to just start off. What are some recent trends or developments that are you're seeing that are influencing payer negotiations for medical practices and systems? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So some of the things that are very impactful, I think, number one, of course, it's January 2024. So cuts in Medicare. So what are we going to do? We're going to make it up on the commercial side. So the phone is ringing uh, because this is what this is. This is how the pressure works. Right. So the Medicare fee schedule cuts are super impactful and are uh, really driving the need for practices to talk to their payer partners about getting increases because as medical CPI increases, um, cost to provide care increases, the money has to come from somewhere. Um, another thing from a trend perspective that's having a uh, get catching a, a really we're working on a lot with our payer contracting clients is administrative burden. And so, for example, I have a GI client right now, and in this particular state, we have a flurry of Medicare Advantage plans popping up all over the place. And this practice is a really big practice in this geography, very sought after. And basically, they've said if they require prior offs, we don't even want to talk to them. So we had five different payers. I think we're talking to three now. And one of them is thinking about taking that off the table because it costs practices money. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I think the administrative burden is another big thing. Um, also, COVID, kind of the ramifications of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, we have uh, lots of things that are influencing influencing us. You know, there are you know new protocols that we have in place, so our cost of care has increased. There are um, uh, lots of things that we need to be cognizant of in, in terms of uh, how we manage those populations, um, reimbursements for vaccines all of that is really, really important and, and impactful. Um, and the last thing that I think is just really emerging or has been for the past several years are innovative models. Uh, so I'll give you an example. I was working with a practice and 
and I say this in my talks all the time, but every negotiation starts with no. That's what how they train us on the payer side. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, starts with no. And so uh, thinking about it from a more innovative way, what we do in payer contracting work is we want to partner with payers. So we all want the same things. So how do we partner? And some of that could be innovative models. So for example, this negotiation started out with a no. We got on the phone with the VP and talked about how can we collaborate, help you with your HEDIS yeah. measures, help this practice remain independent. We've come up with some quality measures that we're going to add to the contract. So it's helpful to everyone. So I think that's another driver from an innovate, from a, um, a trend perspective. I love that. Yeah, prior auths, I mean, even when I was gastroenterology, I'm going to age myself, but, you know, back in the mid 2000s, I mean, it was such an, such a huge issue for that. And it's so many procedural surgical specialties as well. And ultimately, you know, we're not, we're not doing care that's not warranted. So being able to have that streamlined is, is so, so important. And often it results in delays that are just unnecessary. So um, that is fantastic. Is there anything that um, I heard your your presentation at um, the MGMA national meeting last year on negotiation? And um, I know you had kind of brought your team in and you guys had met with um, kind of learn from Chris Voss. Are there any kind of tactics or successful negotiation strategies that you can share from from that experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things I mean, we do so many things um, uh that fall in line with the with the whole um, never split the difference um, mm -hmm. thought process. But some of the tactics that we use routinely are it's called he really he calls it tactical empathy, and it's really listening to what is happening on the other side and aligning with it. Because um, in contrast to a lot of our peer groups, we don't come out with guns blazing. We are really very collaborative in our approach. Uh, most of us are from the payer side at Prosper Beyond, so we understand what it's like to sit in that seat. So uh, aligning with the payer and trying to be a problem solver is where we come from. And by being empathetic to the payer, we create connectivity, which is probably one of the most, one of the reasons why we're so successful with our clients is that that connectivity helps us as a catalyst launch into all kinds of things like discussions about innovative models um different scenarios that we might try out over time to solve problems for a practice but so that's one the empathy part um another thing that i would say we use quite often is um mirroring so mm -hmm. when we're trying to get information from uh, a payer we always start our conversations with asking payer a little bit about what's happening in their world how long they've been there what have been their rules yeah. because folks like to talk about themselves. Yeah. And also it, it's like a launching pad for finding out about new products, uh, new initiatives. So we use mirroring a lot as well. So we can better understand what's going on at the payer so that we can help the payer understand what the value is that the practice brings that is um, helpful in terms of what their initiatives are. So yeah, I mean, so, so many. We love Chris Voss, um, yeah. and we use a lot of those strategies. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know Chris Voss, the Never Split the Difference book, but he was an F FBI hostage negotiator, right? So it's, um, yeah, I loved it. You did a fantastic job in, um, at the meeting, so that was definitely engaging Thanks. conversation. Um, it's really great to just think about the other side and how, how to really better interact with them. Um, is there any advice that you would give for healthcare leaders looking to strengthen their negotiation skills as they're 
kind of moving through these strategies or? Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, of course, what I was just talking about, like be the 180, don't be the person that emails the pair and says, we need a a 50% increase tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, really get in there, listen, be collaborative, make it easy for the payer to understand the value that your practice brings to the organization and quantify it. Um, uh, you know, every practice I talk to is a high quality practice, but what do the numbers show and how does that compare to benchmarks? So uh, looking at that information is going to help you position in a negotiation um, and quite simply prioritizing it because the when the phone rings at Prosper Beyond, it's because uh, it's fallen off the radar. It's not in the strategic plan for the practice and it's no one's responsibility squarely. So just prioritizing it and putting it in the strategic plan and then rolling it out as a long-term objective that's ongoing um, is going to help you make sure that you ask for those increases when you need to. A lot of these contracts have renewal windows and if you miss them, you're in that contract for another year. So it's really important to get ahead of it. So prioritization, um, thinking about yourself as a partner, education, uh, anytime that you can listen to folks that have experience doing this. I mean, even if you just pick up one or two pieces of information, uh, it's helpful. Um, Establishing goals. I think that's another piece that's really key is setting off in the distance. This is where you want to be. Financial goals, of course, but then also are there innovative models that you're interested in? What does that look like? How do you prepare for those innovative models and how do you talk to your payer partners about uh, launching a potential pilot? So thinking about those things in that way, um, a steering process. I find that practices, even if they start down this path, if they don't have a steering process, thinking about the long-term and short-term goals, we can get off track. So we really need to kind of contain, uh, create a container of Here's what our short-term goals are. Here's what our long-term goals are. And then holding up any initiatives to that lens. You know, does this fall in? Like, do we want more Medicaid members? Maybe we do, maybe we want. Do we know what we want to do in terms of percentage of payer mix with workers' compensation? So we're not just reacting. We're really responding from a strategic perspective. Getting good advisors. Here's the other piece is if you don't have time to do it, um, uh, I mean, there's a, there are, it, it is, the return on investment is amazing. So it is something that can be easily outsourced as well. So don't be afraid to think about that. Is there um, a timeline when people are, and I, I agree, I think a lot of times and you know, as healthcare leaders, we're kind of running around, we're putting out fires and it's, it's hard to, you know, to find the time or, you know, it's something we have to make the time for it, kind of take a step back and, you know, whether it's big things like, you know, capital, you know, growth strategy, or it's, you know, payer contracting to really make that like, these are things that were, how frequently do you feel like people should look at this? And then what is a reasonable timeline for them to say, like, if we want changes, our contracts are coming up due in 24 months, 12 months, like what is a reasonable time frame for people to kind of put a date and, you know, okay, we want it done by this. So we need to start, you know, at what yeah. point are then? That's a great, great question. So um, a lot of our clients, I think that the first piece is to understand, um, to get it on the calendar at all. The timeline for negotiations, typically when you start a negotiation to the time it's concluded, if there's a new contract, could be anywhere from six months to a year. 
Yeah. So you have to think about it with that long-term lens because it certainly does take a lot of time. Um, so backing up and starting everything, you know, it's first prioritizing who you want to talk to, negotiating those contracts. And then I recommend once you conclude a negotiation, you need to identify the next time you should start it. So for example, if it takes you 12 months to negotiate a contract with United Healthcare, then you should be starting to allow yourself enough time to do that successfully based on history. Right. So that's what we look at is how long did it take us? And then as far as frequency, I mean, every sometimes we have clients that are going back every year with certain payers, okay. others every two years. Uh, so yeah, but what we do see is that payers have a budget yeah. line item for increases. And so what we always tell our clients is that we want to get you in that budget. We want you to be in that budget. So they will expect that phone call. Right. Um, yeah. No, Great question. Yeah. And I think, you know, even before that, if you've got a 12 month window, really starting to understand, as you said, the, the key areas that are to you either based on, you know, these, this, a certain type of patient category, you know, how you're doing, you know, it's a surgery, these patients that you're caring for, they're ones that are more valuable to you because that's where you want to focus on the practice or those ones that you kind of push more heavily on versus other ones that it would be nice to kind of the nice to haves get increases in some of those areas, but are not going to really be as impactful um, or things that you could bundle into more of a clinical care model. I think those are great to really start having those discussions and having them with their providers too. It's like, I always say a lot of times it's trying to think ahead of what do we want to create? You know, what do we want to create and who are we trying yes. to care for? Where do we want to focus as a, as a practice, as a team? And then letting it flow from there. Yeah, and one more thing uh, that's worth noting is contracts that are disadvantageous and are too low, those are not to be ignored um, because they can be very harmful and really ruin your leverage. So if you've got a contract and you go to a payer and you're not able to get it up to market rates, that might be one to exit. So right. just as important really, because it will, from a, right. again, long-term strategy, it's going to help you position to continue to care for your community. Right. And I've been part of organizations that we've done that and worked with groups that have done that too. And of course that comes with its own process of before you make those decisions, you know, understanding what is that patient population in those contracts? How can you, who might transition to another one? Are there, you know, other care opportunities, community, and just really understanding that too. So it's, a lot of moving pieces. And I, I yes. agree. It is great to have um, partners that, you know, at least the first time or two that you go through that to really help you think of those things. So, um, but I love, thank you so much for sharing, sharing tips on that um, with the group. I think that's fantastic. Um, is there anything that um, you would say that, I don't know, is there any technologies that you've seen that are coming to help on the negotiation side or just better understanding the data? I know there's a lot of AI and other kind of tools. And I know even historically working with electronic health records and, you know, RCM systems, getting the data out sometimes has just been so onerous. So is there anything that you're seeing or anything that you could envision developing maybe? Well, we actually work with AI quite a bit. Um, you know, it is very helpful in so many ways as our interns are always uh, showing us, and that is doing things like crafting correspondence, um, doing some research for us to help us understand what's happening from a market perspective in a given geography. Um, you know, there is some transparency data that's out there, but uh, it's um, it's really kind of hit or miss. Um, yeah, so there's there's some of that, but really from a technology perspective, I would say AI is something to be looking at as uh, another hand to help you 
move a little quicker. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes there's, you have to be, you know, there's, there's art to using AI and that's when we, we really leverage folks that are using it every day, uh, to help us, um, to help us there. But yeah, that's a great question. Okay. I know you mentioned your internship program and I know you've been doing this now for several years. Tell tell us a little bit about that. I, I know you've got a real passion for helping yeah. develop others in the field and. Yeah, thanks. We, um, so we take summer interns and we have usually two or three. And what we're really doing is having them shadow and shadow analytics and then also consulting so that they see what it's like to be a consultant working in a remote environment, working with payers. Um, but when we back it up, it's really a 12 week program. And we are also helping them understand how to take care of yourself from a professional perspective. So for example, one of the things that we do first is talk about self-care routine. You know, how do you create enough space so that you get enough rest so that you are focused, so that you have enough downtime? Uh, because as folks launch off into their professional careers, those things can get lost. And so at Prosper Beyond, we want to help them prepare not only from a, a technical perspective in terms of, you know, how do you, how does contract negotiation work and what are the components of those processes, but also how do you step back and make sure that you're living a life you want to live from yeah. a professional perspective and take really good care of yourself? Um, so we love our interns. They Last year, our interns ended up giving a talk at the North Carolina MGMA oh, on AI, which yeah. was fantastic. And um, so we learn from them so much. And uh, and uh, anyway, we kind of we, we view it like this, like what are the things that we wish someone would have told us? Right. Back at the beginning of our career. And then we, as uh, all of us at Prosper Beyond have weighed in on, here are some things they should read. You know, for example, we have a square breathing exercise that we give to them. Or if you're anxious or you need to calm down. Um, we've got a couple of TED Talks on how to have great conversations, for example. We have a whole reading list for them. So it's more about how to create a, you know, kind of a growth mindset um, in terms of how you show up in the world as a professional. So yeah, that's a little bit about our internship program. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice all your books behind you. So <laughs> yeah. any, um, any one that you comes to mind that you would recommend for? You know, I'm, I was, we actually, we're, we, I'm, I just read one called I Love It Here. Um, and it is oh. all about the undercover millennial, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, that's right there. Yeah, I love it here. Um, is that Clint Pulver? So it's about a company that is undercover millennial, and it's all about how to create spaces in organizations that are um, make people want to stay. And yeah. so, you know, that's something as a CEO of an organization, I'm always trying to look at is how can I create um, an environment where it's supportive, it's fun, there are rewards that make a lot of sense. And we kind of weather uh, things together and support each other really in living our best professional life. So there's some really good information in there about um, how CEO, how different CEOs manage yeah. uh, their businesses. And, and I take a lot away from that. So yeah, that's one I've recently read that I really dig. I love it. Yeah. I always try to, when I'm working with you know, groups, whether it's as, as a team or individual clients, you know, it really is like, what do you want to create for your organization? But like, really, what do you want for yourself as well, like as a career, but also for your, your personal, you know, life, I think there's so much along the way that can get lost. Has there been 
kind of lessons that you've had throughout your your journey as things, you know, we know, I always say like life is a roller coaster. I think anything that were entrepreneurship for me, it definitely been a roller coaster. I think leadership was too, being a mom, all the things, but um, is there anything that you would kind of share with your younger self or lesson that you've had along the way? That's a great question. So definitely the life roller coaster uh, <laughs> I, it is very resonant for me. Um, when I started Prosper Beyond, it was in the midst of losing a job, um, I had some significant personal challenges, uh, moving through a divorce, two kids in tow. I mean, all of the things. Yeah. And it was um, it was really kind of born out of really some a, a really tough time in my life. Launching this company was was happening at the same time. So it was um, some of the lessons I learned along the way. Uh, Boy, so many of them, but I think one of them was getting some assistance. So yeah. I ended up developing this kind of circle of advisors, folks that were really important in my professional development and who really helped me understand um, things that I, were possible from a structure perspective that were really quite innovative. Yeah. And um, and that was really, really important to um, to ask for help and to get it exactly where I needed. So that's definitely something that I had to learn along the way. Um, another thing, and it's, uh, um, I'm sorry, you're going to go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add to that. I think, um, you know, I too, I, I left kind of large um, corporate life and actually I was, you know, kind of mid, mid COVID definitely, you know, at the end of 2020. And, you know, I, I often will say as a leader, and you may have felt this too, as a, as a leader kind of in a big, big system, there are moments where we still feel alone because we feel like we're carrying you know, not necessarily secrets, but sometimes, you know, things that are coming that we don't want to kind of give to our team. And then there's things that we're trying to figure out before we talk to upper leadership about, because we want to make sure we've maybe got some of the answers. And so I think it's easy in those, like in those formal roles to feel alone, but I, I don't know if you felt this way too, but kind of leaving a larger system where there were lots of people around, you know, there's teams that you're working with to shifting into your own business. I mean, that that was a bigger transition for me than I expected. Um, it was helpful for me to be connected and, you know, MGMA, several other associations to meet people like you. But what was that transition like for you? I, I it, it struck me that I can imagine people even kind of moving into retirement, you know, phases or these job transitions a lot of people are going through right now. It, I think that is a huge part of the shift that we don't talk about that you really go from team to yeah. single um, you know, individual and especially right. with personal changes, which I think both of us experience. So. Yeah, <laughs> that is so, so true. That was really a big culture shock, you know, coming from giant organization, so many large teams that I was participating on to really everything just got kind of quiet. So what was difficult was filling my social cup because my social cup got filled in the corporate environment a lot easier. But it also gave um, me the permission to launch a new uh, way to fill that social cup. And so it honestly, it, it's a lot healthier now than it was even in those structures, uh, but it was definitely lonely. Yeah. And so I had to um, seek out, you know, new circles, like Million Cups of Coffee is something that I would attend, which is a an innovation hub here in Asheville. Um, but there are it, you can really lean into lots of different circles to fill that. Um, you know, the other piece that was really tough was um, the lack of structure. You know, yeah. I had yeah. a lot of structure in corporate America and now it was up to me 
to define right. what that structure was going to look like. So that was uh, really kind of a culture shock as well. Um, but it can be a little scary, definitely, and it can be lonely. Um, and so for me, what has been, it's really given me license to kind of launch, it's like a blank canvas. Like, what do I want it to look like? Yeah. How do I want to spend my time? And who do I want to spend my time with? Because when I look back on my experience in corporate life, I was actually in a lot of spaces spending time with individuals and with teams that were, I, I just, they weren't, were not adding any value to my life. Yeah. Even not into, not even to, uh, yeah, not adding a lot of value period, I would say. And so now I am so protective of my time. It's got to make sense and it's got to make sense for my team. And so, um, boy, so, so many lessons from moving from a bigger environment to a smaller environment. Um, and then the other piece is I got to define how much time I spend on um, keep uh, self-care. Yeah. So, um, and this is something that um, I do and it works really well for me is my calendar really wasn't my own in corporate America, right? It really belonged to Yes. The, uh, the firms that I was with, um, that's just how it went. My calendar's my own now. So I've got this whole color coding system thing. Everybody has access to my calendar. And if I've got green and it's an hour and a half, I'll say I'm on a run. Yeah. Or um, I'm taking off this afternoon because I'm going to go have lunch with my daughter mm -hmm. and we're going to go shopping. Or um, a pink is joy. So yeah. I have to build things in my life that have no connection to work no connection to family. They're just things that bring me joy and they're not productive uh, because that's one of the things that I really had to lean into when I was an entrepreneur. Every single moment had to be achieving something. But today I really value doing things that um, are have no other meaning. Like this weekend, it was really cold and yucky. So we worked on some watercolor stuff. Um, so there's there is there are things that I do in my life now that in corporate America probably wouldn't have that that stuff wouldn't apply. Um, right. I, but... I think it's a shift of it is still being productive and that it's allowing you to be, to be, to be your best version, whatever that is. And I think that's, um, you know, both my parents were teachers definitely growing up was very like high achiever. What do you, you know, what are you going to get done? And they were great, but also like, I, I know early on in my, you know, in my jobs and even, you know, all of them too, it was very much like, what are you producing? And I think, um, you know, definitely the structure, I, I miss that some days because you kind of look left, look right. And um, you're like, okay, it's just me, but really trying to understand like where, where do you best serve, really focusing on your strengths. And these are things I know you probably work with, you know, clients and have these conversations too. And as I do of, you know, even if you are still in a system, in a, you know, practice in those formal leadership roles, it's really important to take the time to to build out whether it's time to focus on pair contracting or strategy or or have those moments that are really you I know mean, figuring out what's really important to you and trying to create that and every week's not going to work you know it's not going to look the way that you would ideally love it to perhaps as it might right. as if you maybe have more of your own business but um you know really trying to be mindful of that is there a process that you go through do you look at things like monthly weekly like how yeah, do you yeah, I do. I, there's kind of a pie chart in my mind. This is how much time I want to spend working. This is how much time I want to spend exercising. Yeah. This is how much time I want to spend with family. And I, I look to see, am I spending time where I want to? And where do I need to adjust? And here's the really cool thing. It gives everyone else at Prosper Beyond in my company permission to do the same. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. So it, it's funny. Say, I have like, a, I'd love to do this. Yeah. To yeah. Have. And I have, a, I have lots of people on the team who have come from big corporate jobs and it's really hard to slow down. And I think that it's a lovely thing that we can do for each other is to support each other in, you know, living a life that doesn't exhaust you and, uh, and can be fulfilling um, and rewarding in, in, in different ways. Um, and I think that's kind of a cultural shift, you know, instead of the, I can remember, um, you know, uh, being on vacation and getting calls from oh, folks at work and, and I, I mean, I'll take full responsibility for that. I would answer the phone. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen anymore in my life. There's unless unless someone unless something's on fire, and it's a it's a nice way to be in the world, and it's a nice way to respect downtime. And uh, I'm just so happy that I get to do that. Yeah, I used to always feel like if I wanted something to like break or you know I just go on vacation. Like never failed, everything was going fine, and then all of a sudden you go on vacation, you're like, okay, why did I leave? Um, I actually had my boss one time tell me he went on vacation and he said, don't burn the place down. And then we had a flood. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, you should have been more specific. Like you should have covered all the natural disasters. But um, one of the things I love about what you said is, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I definitely felt like slowing down means being less productive or being creating less of an impact or less results. And I, I don't believe that's true. And I, I know that I think you kind of feel the same way as like, it's being more mindful about where we're spending our time and energy and what's really going to move the needle for that client, for the practice, you know, business as a whole, what, um, how does that feel for you as you kind of like frame what we've historically thought of as busy is productive? Yeah. So that's what I see is that, um, the better my self-care routine, the better it is for everybody, my clients, my team members, my children, you know, all of the folks that are in my life. So it all starts with me. I, it, it, when I take good care of myself, everybody wins. And, and I see that happen time and time again. So it's, it's, it's proportional. And I can also see what happens when that doesn't go so well. If I'm exhausted, I had a week, a couple of weeks ago where I was travel, travel, travel. And even looking at that week, I was like, oh, it's going to be rough. And it was rough. So what does that do for me? I'm not going to be able to show up as my best self. I won't be as rested. Um, You know, I won't be able to exercise like I normally would. And I'm just not going to feel my best. So it is um, just appreciating that I'm sensitive to that. And I need to put those things in place so that I don't get to a spot where I'm not doing my best because my clients deserve me at my best. And that's what I want to give. So it's almost like, I have to take care of myself or I'm not going to be able to do the awesome work that we do at Prosper Beyond to take good care of our clients. Furthermore, everybody on the team needs to do the same. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that kind of leads me to this. You were asking about what would I tell my younger self? Um, Two things. I actually three things I noted. One of already talked about self-care, self-care, self-care. Prioritizing that really helps me be the best version of myself with, which helps everybody. Um, the other pieces, and I, I like to think about things in this way, making my five-year-old self and my other and my 85-year-old self proud. Um, when I'm facing any tough decision, I think about those two individuals and I know in my body what to do always. Um, and then the last one is boundaries. And uh, I know we've talked about this many times, but I feel like when I was uh, younger in my career, I said yes to way too much. 
happened. And as a result, it led me into exhaustion, um, you know, unhappiness and and not really not living the life I wanted to live. So as I what I would tell my younger self is having boundaries is fantastic. Saying no to things is absolutely okay. Figure out how to do that because in fact, what it does is it is it helps you focus on the things you should focus on. Like, for example, we had a client once that just was not a good fit for us. And so um, we ended up parting ways with that client. And um, it was a great boundary because what I think is, okay, who's going to arrive? Who's the next one that's going to arrive? That's going to be better aligned with how we work and what we do. And then it's like we stop fitting a square peg in a round hole. Um, but I'll say boundaries are beautiful. And I wish uh, my younger self um, had a beat on that because I spent a lot of time saying yes to a lot of things that I shouldn't have. Yeah. And I think the more too, I've found even over the last, I'd say three, five years has been the more I can recognize like what, what comes easier for me to do, you know, certain types of activities just tend to flow more versus other ones I can do, but I have to like be more focused or I need more energy or I just got to be at like my absolute best and starting to recognize and, and saying, you know what, maybe I'm not in the best place to have this conversation or to do this work. Sometimes, yes, you've got to move through and get it done because there's some deadline, but if you can pay attention and start to recognize, like, these are the areas that really feel, um, and you try to do more of those, right? Like those things where you really feel like you're in your, I hate to say genius zone and maybe overused, but like you're in your, you know, your best self and it's really, you're creating the impact and it's doing it in a way that feels easy. We both were talking a little bit earlier too about you know, feeling like maybe this is, we're all entering a little bit softer era, era where we don't have to be, um, kind of carrying it all and being all, and, um, you know, we get to kind of have that vulnerability and transparency, um, with our teams, with our clients, that openness and, and with ourselves through that grace of, you know, we're, we don't have to do it all today. We don't have to, you know, but we can kind of move through it all at the time that we need to. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, there are, um, there's this thought process. And I see this a lot with team members that have come from some bigger environments. Like there's always this sense of urgency, like it has to be done right now. And it likely does not. So it's just acknowledging like we create that sense of urgency, not that we're not going to get things done, but it doesn't need to be done within an hour. Yeah. We can schedule that and prioritize it for tomorrow. So it's like leaning into how do we create ease so that we are able to show up in a way that we're not exhausted and and it's okay it can wait till tomorrow I mean we have you know at Prosper Beyond we have some boundaries where we return an email even if it's I got it within a day it doesn't need to be within five minutes right it can be within a day yeah I think understanding and setting those clear expectations and being able to be on the same page with your group about it is such so important well, Doral, we could talk all day, but I thank you so much for taking your time and being with us today. And I just love everything to share. I'm sure we'll we'll talk again and um, share more with about our journeys together. So, absolutely, absolutely, you are a dear friend and such a brilliant colleague. And um, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. <laughs>